Hello, I'm Carly McDowell and this is the Shared Road podcast where we talk about lived experience and wisdom around shining the light on complex toxic relationships, narcissistic abuse, coercive control, breaking cycles of family generational trauma and dysfunction and unraveling the binds to free ourselves from suffering. On this episode, my guest is Jaguar Hart, a holistic therapist based in the Byron Bay Shire who has travelled a road of being raised in a toxic family with two narcissistic parents. He was once living what he believed to be the dream life as a financially successful businessman who is known as the Wolf of Wall Street guy in Sydney. In the material world, he had it all, yet felt an emptiness inside, which led him to follow his intuition and retreat from his career and family in the world he was living for a period of seven months. This began the change of his healing and the work he now does with people, with physics and language to help understand the programs of the mind and that which is the cause of our suffering, patterns and cycles of dysfunction. I have personally been a part of some of JAG's group containers and workshops and find his work deeply fascinating and highly effective in helping people understand the subconscious patterns that are dictating how they live their lives. There may be content shared in this discussion that you could find triggering, so please listen in a space and time that feels comfortable for you. Jag, thank you so much for sharing your time with me and our listeners today. You're welcome. It's great to have you here. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. You're uh, my first male guest on the podcast, and so I'm especially excited for our male listeners, but I have no doubt there'll be lots of insight and takeaways for, for everyone. As a therapist, your work is primarily focused on physics, language, vibration. And I've seen you work uh, and I've learned from you through your Free Your Mind containers and other workshops where you work primarily with men, but also with women in some of the containers, obviously, that I've been part of. Could you just elaborate on your work for me and our listeners a little more? Sure. So... One of the things that has largely been missed in the world of healing, we look at affirmations a lot as people want to use affirmations to try to break through limitations or barriers within the mind. And when I started to see that language really forms the basis of our reality, there's a, I can't remember who said it, it escapes me at the moment, but he said, the limit of my language is the limit of my world. And then when I realized that, you know, what comes before language is a vibration like when you're doing chanting or om or whatever it is you can feel the vibration start to resonate and so when i was in the investment world what i started to realize is people would answer things in the same way and these would be different people and so they'd use the same excuses to not invest they'd have the same reasons why they're investing where i could start to actually identify what someone was going to say two or three steps ahead of what they were actually saying Right, so I could lead a conversation. And I started to see that this is all automated. And the automated part of the human condition, besides the autonomic nervous system, is the subconscious mind, which is still the autonomic nervous system is still driven by the subconscious mind anyway. And what I started to discover with the with these thoughts were driven by these fundamental programs that we operate out of, which are there's twelve of them. And so they're all based in these negative aspects. And so when we're, it's called negation. So if I say to you, all right, Carly, you know, don't think about a red car, you'll start thinking about a red car, right? So the subconscious, which is like the ego structure, 
has these main rooms that we live within and some will be more dominant than others some will be you know less active than others but there's around 10 to 12 of them which are pretty much fundamental in everyone that um i'd say everyone that's on the planet because it's like the mind is like software and the body is like hardware so the mind and thoughts are scalar wave electromagnetic energy so they're stronger than feelings their frequency is higher than feelings so I used the example when I saw this that do you ever wonder why if you're heartbroken when you're not thinking about the person you're not upset you know and that's a really interesting point and so if you're not thinking about it you're generally not upset about it which means thoughts dictate how we feel feelings will dictate our behaviors behaviors produce results results generate experiences of life and then we're in a loop trying to fix behavior and experience when really what we need to do is get to the program that's informing the thoughts which drive the feelings behaviors results and experience so what i do through my work is i listen to the way that someone speaks which you would have seen me do a number of times in the containers that we did and you see me sort of work to be able to listen and go you said this 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 and this and those words will fit within a container and then I can drill back into the container and then when I get someone to say it, they'll move into a, a process, it can be expansion, it can be tears, but it's a releasing experience. And so that really forms the, the nature of, of my work because I really believe that physics drives everything, whether you believe in it or not, it's not like believe in God or whatever it is, or life, universe, whatever. Physics is vibration vibration forms the fundamental nature of our reality so i just work to work to that so that probably sums it up i think in in a short short sense short space thank you so those programs and programs um, of the mind they you say are sort of embedded in a negative space within the subconscious part of the ego yep Okay. And so what your work is, is to recognize and um, understand what's, what program someone has developed, then that's uh, a pattern of behavior and conditioned behavior that's developed over time. It's not who they are beyond that subconscious, is it? It's, Correct. it's a developed, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, a, it's a reaction to a program. So as an example... Um, I've got one of my containers coming up tomorrow where I'm going to be teaching about the five primal fears, right? So it lay, it's layered in its structure. So sort of the top most superficial one is uh, ego death. That's the fear of an ego death. The one that comes after that is fear of separation. This is where abandonment wounds and rejection and things like that are going to come in. And then there's fear of loss of autonomy, right, which is going to be, you know, things like becoming a paraplegic, fear of disease, you know, um, things like that. Then there's fear of mutilation, right? Mutilation is like a loss of agency where your boundaries are dissolved and broken as a child. And this is where, you know, narcissistic abuse, which I think we were going to speak about today, form these bottom two. So the fear of mutilation is more around where we also have fear of spiders, of snakes, of things like that. We can go into a place of like, you know, if we get really sick as well with the fear of mutilation, and our boundaries can be invaded and really you know completely destroyed and the biggest one that forms here is around sexual trauma mutilation is a hard word but it's like a disfigurement it's a breaking of the sense of self and then we have extinction right which is the deepest fear which is we just don't exist i don't exist is one of the programs and this is relative big time to narcissistic abuse and so it's like we have three main fears as well so these are the these are the five deep fears around our um, 
irrational fears really, ones that are manufactured. And then there's our physical fears, which is fear of drowning, fear of falling, um, and fear of heights. Now, all of those three fall into the extinction category because if you're standing at the edge of a cliff, if you have a fear of heights, it's coupled with a fear of falling and then a fear of drowning, which means you're completely extinct. So extinction is the deepest fear where it's just, I just don't exist, I have no identity, I don't know who I am. And this is where fear of death comes from as well. And so the, there are programs which are relevant to each one of those, but these are the main primal fears that, we, that really drive us as human beings. And so out of like, you know, fear of separation as an example, abandonment will be one of the behaviors that will be developed. Jealousy and envy will be some of the emotions that start to come into it. So jealousy, the difference between jealousy and envy, jealousy is involving three people. So it might be like that person's more than me because my partner's giving mm -hmm. them attention. Envy is around competitive advantage, which is, oh, I want what that person has because I don't have it, right? So these are the two slight differences between jealousy and envy. But these are an example of some of the deep fears that drive us. So we have to look at what fears are driving us, what's our primal fear, which at the base of it all really is extinction because we don't know what's yeah. going to happen in death. I mean, my father just died yesterday. And so hey, we oh, went through sorry. a process. Yeah, thank you. We went through a bit of a process around that, um, which I can talk to in as we go along uh, with that if we need to go into it. But it was mm. very much around, I went through a period of individuation through that extinction wound um, that came up seven weeks ago. And then in his passing, quite, it's almost very profound is there's been a deep sense of peace that has settled in with me since then. Mm. So these are the wounds that we have to sort out. And once we release them, the world will start to change around us because our vibration shifts or our frequency shifts because we've made the unseen seen and then we can't help but experience the world in a different way. So fascinating, Jag, and I have a gazillion questions amongst everything that you just asked, but that's not necessarily the uh, focus of our podcast today. So I, I keep having to kind of pull back and, and stay on track here. But um, yes, yeah, certainly really, really interesting. And I think there's a lot that you've just said there for our listeners, so that if anyone's interested in your work straight up, like that you just shared um, some wonderful insight into how you work. So thank you. Um, and one of the things that I really appreciate, I follow you on Instagram. That's how I found you through someone sharing a post of yours um, and then obviously doing work with you in your group settings. I, um, I really appreciate your straight up, very direct approach. And as a woman, it's, it's, it sort of just cuts through what can sometimes following a lot of other women. There's a lot of airy fairy woo woo, like, you know, this kind of approach. And I quite like just calling a spade a spade. So I really appreciate that. And to hear from a man's perspective, how you work, um, how you talk to men, how you talk about masculine energy and etc. I Yeah, I find it all deeply insightful and, um, and your knowledge of the nature of the mind. One of the other things that um, has resonated deeply through uh, following you is when you've spoken about um, your personal story a little bit on your website but also um, through Instagram you've spoken about having narcissistic parents um, and obviously given the timing of what happened with your father yesterday I'm more than happy to not go there if that's not okay with you today so just please let me know if there's anything that you're not comfortable with 
Um, does that still feel okay to ch- to talk to a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. Yeah, it was it was interesting. It was one of those things that came up, and I saw my older brother calling me from Switzerland, and I was like, he's gone. And I was actually saying to my partner a few days before that. I was like, he's gonna go in the next couple of days. And it was interesting because, and I can get into the narcissistic injury and narcissistic abuse and what tactics they use, but from the actual perspective that they really use what real narcissists do, I mean, I don't believe that there's a narcissistic spectrum. I don't, I think it's you're either a narcissist or you're not. And we've seen this on, you know, on social media a lot, it's, I'm going to be really direct, as you honoured in me before, which I appreciate, is there's a cesspool of covert narcissists pretending to be victims so they can maintain their own grandiosity by helping other people be convinced that normal people are just narcissists. You know, if, if a guy doesn't call you back after a first date, he's not a narcissist. If a guy, like, or if a woman, you know, doesn't agree with you, they're not a narcissist, you know? There's nine traits that a person needs to show, at least six of those over a long period of time to be considered for narcissistic personality disorder. A lack of empathy is one of those, but I think that's inaccurate. I think it should be cruelty because men are less empathetic than women. And it's very easy for the female population to brandish men as narcissists because we're more logical. We are less feeling than women and less empathic. And that's for a reason. And the reason why is our nervous systems are twice as dense as women so we can go and kill. That was, that's the reason for it. Because if we're overwhelmed by emotion in you know, difficult and critical situations, we're not gonna be able to protect our women and children. So we have that mechanism for survival. It doesn't make us narcissists, you know. It's you know, it's, it, these days, every it's like the flavor du jour or the word du jour of like the month, you know. And and on that, and I want for for not only yourself because you don't know this about me, but our listeners, the, the shared road and and the the subjects that I'm speaking to are not from a place, and I'm not in the business of throwing around that term willy nilly and just you know. Um, diagnosing and name calling and that whole that's not my agenda my agenda is just for those that are genuinely experiencing um a person in their lives that's causing them um i guess (laughs) the kind of pain that comes with this with a relationship with either a parent or a partner etc to have somewhere to to either learn gain some insight hear that they're not alone just those stories but I'm not about to get on and start saying well that person's this and that person's that it's just not my yeah it's not my thing um so yeah I agree with you it's overused um and I certainly find it interesting that you say that there's not a spectrum because I have I do wonder about that because obviously there are so many people that have traits versus actually the personality disorder and then coming back to cruelty I agree with you on that too. And I do wonder if that's what separates a narcissist from a sociopath, if we're going to get into that for a split second is because I feel like, I feel like from my experience, my direct experience, a narcissist actually know how to demonstrate empathy, but they don't have an embodied experience with the feeling of it. They just know how to use it um, to look as though, which is covert behavior versus a sociopath I've also had direct experience with, where it was downright cruel, like just horrid. And I think you've also had that experience. So sorry to go back to you sharing. I agree with you completely and what the narcissist will have is cognitive empathy so they can understand the concept of it but it's not an embodied thing where they actually feel 
for the other person. This is another thing I want to delineate where there's a lot of people out there that say codependent people are covert narcissists. They're not. The narcissist, one of the foundational things of narcissists is they seek to destroy the other person and then discard them. The codependent doesn't. If the codependent as a child has empathy and sensitivity, you can't have that if you're a narcissist. You can have cognitive empathy but the codependent will feel it so a lot of people like codependents are you know covert narcissists i'm like no they're not because they have a different intention which is survival and they will empathize and be quite sensitive and very emotional and yeah this out there it's like no it's 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 factually incorrect i've never heard that one that's a new one and i read a lot about this (laughs) yeah um so would you mind sharing a little bit about um, your family experience? Because you have said that you, both your parents were narcissists and that um, is an interesting combination because, again, that's often not the case where two can coexist together. So I'm kind of fascinated on what that looked like and, of course, if you're happy to share what that experience was, was for you. Yeah, yeah, and it's two narcissists can get together but what they do is they develop a shared world And so they operate in a shared world where part of the world has to get destroyed and then the narcissist that's in control has to build it back up, bring the other person back into the shared fantasy, and then they keep designing and crushing and destroying the same world together. And so this is my mother and father. My father was a bit more of like the covert narcissist, but he was a bit more on the the spectrum of more psychopathy. Very charming, quite calm you know, was quite gentle in the way that he spoke. You'd you'd almost feel sorry for him sometimes, but ruthless in the way that he ripped people off, ruthless in the way that he treated uh, other people. My mum was more overt where she would say things. I mean, some things that spring to mind where she said she hoped I get cancer so I know what it's like, you know, things like that. And I've worked with people where their narcissistic mothers would be, if you children were dead, it would be much easier for me to survive things like that, like stuff that just really shouldn't be said. So my mother would wage war on me specifically in the family, I was the youngest, but my father would support her and just back her up. And so it would be these two sort of teamsters that would go at it, which would just always be like, well, I'll be the cruel one and then I'll support the cruelty, which is just as cruel. And then there's aspects of like the triangulation and the gaslighting, which aren't specific to narcissists, other people do that as well. But the grandiosity, the um, the vindictiveness, the cruelty, you know, the uh, shared fantasy. But the biggest thing about it was what they actually do is they engage in a process called mortification. So mort, M-O-R-T, mortification, where they trauma bond the child to themselves by breaking the innocence of the child and then installing their own programmed voice within the child by killing the child's voice, which is extinction. So that's that's the real insidious that's the horrid that's the horrible part there's so much of that that is horrid that you've just shared one of the the thoughts that i have around why they they do that to the child and target the child in that way is so that the child doesn't grow to outshine them or see them for who they truly are and that would essentially become a narcissistic injury and and that the child could potentially discard them at some later stage so it's to keep them beneath them. Um, yeah. Threatens the dominance hierarchy of the narcissist. Mm. The narcissist needs the dominance hierarchy over the children. So the children are there purely to serve them because what they want is they want on some level the child to become the person they could never be, but they need to destroy that. That's the thing. 
interestingly enough, um, and you might have a different viewpoint on it, but it kind of plays into it. Brene Brown talks to narcissism uh, or the, the basis to narcissism is in shame. So I guess that makes sense, right? That if they do have some insight into their own sense of self and what they think of themselves, they don't want to be outshone. They don't want to be seen for who they truly are. Yeah. So that's why like it goes to separate from the adult narcissistic injury will fire up and then they'll abuse the child. This just happened with, this is my last communication with my father, which I don't mind sharing. Christmas day took my partner down to meet my whole family for the first time because my, we haven't been together for a long time. They all just abused each other. It was horrible. It was toxic. I said, I'm taking space. This was horrible. Like my partner's traumatized from it. She's got kids. They're not coming around you after this. We're talk, we were talking about having a kid. Partner was like, our kid can't go around them. I'm like, sweet or good. I said, I was taking space. And then it didn't, my father didn't like it because I was like, I'm choosing my partner and my family over you guys. This isn't happening. So the narcissistic injury got activated and then he sent me a message of all the stuff that I did when I was a kid, like I was a rebellious wild kid, really shaming and belittling me. And then at the end, it's like, oh, well, it's all in good fun, you know, just said in a lighthearted manner. And I was like, wow, like this is, yeah, this was quite, it was, it was bad. And I looked at the message and I was like, no, I'm, I'm done. And I knew he was close to death. And I accepted that. And that's what I feel that we do as men. We're meant to separate from our mother and father through a process called individuation. And with the narcissist, that's very difficult. So we have to destroy the shared fantasy that they're going to be the parents we want. Then we have to go through the into the spiritual bardo, which is the wasteland of our old self and cross that journey. It's like the hero's journey uh, by Joseph Campbell. And then start to reclaim or kill off the voice that tried to kill our voice, which would be installed. Then we have to get rid of that. And then like the Phoenix, we arise from the ashes as a new person. And so that message was a real gift that he gave me where I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not allowing this as the man that I am. No way. And then he died a couple of days after that. Wow. And did you get to have a conversation with him before he passed? No, that was it. That last message was it. And I suppose you've been aware of the nature of his limitations for a long time anyway and you probably knew you know how the conversation might go if you even said what you needed to say I assume so sometimes there's it's a kind of healing on your own journey and and just yeah it's a there's a lot in that and what's really interesting about that share is I had another friend yesterday um, tell me a very similar story where after dating her partner of, of two years now they went on a big family holiday with the whole extended family and a situation came up and her partner realized that basically there's a whole thread of enabling and narcissism within the dynamic and he is now faced her partner is now faced with that very thing and I, I was able to sort of speak from what I've seen of your messages on Instagram and say it's time for him to choose you over his family like he's he's actually seeing it through a whole new awareness a whole new lens of what is actually going on and what's really happened is he lost his first wife and think and and really the family created all this triangulation and all these stories about how it was her and not them but actually they they targeted her and kind of maneuvered her out of the dynamic and it's not until he's had a a now second almost wife that he's seeing oh my god they're doing it again the family is 
obviously they're basically trying to make her uh, him choose them over his new partner his new life um and 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 this is where it's really important um and this is how i support people is helping people recognize patterns and themes of behavior so i don't necessarily do the work that you do where you can help support them through understanding the programs of the mind and the healing but actually just that first stage of like what is going on here can you see that this is what's playing out and I can tell in in it's not until you've had direct experience I don't think that you can see the very subtleties of their behavior is so blatantly obvious Um, and they almost give themselves away by by saying they're not something when actually they're declaring exactly what they are yeah yeah, Um, 100% and people that haven't been exposed to this so I always say this to people if someone comes to you and tells you about this stuff give them at least some time to express it because I would tell people what my parents would do, they wouldn't believe me, which would only be that like almost like gaslighting inadvertently that how could a mother do that? How could parents do that? But there's this, no one outside would ever believe that what happened on the inside, but it's like my mother would be ripping shreds off me uh, verbally and the doorbell would ring and she'd be like, hi, sweetheart, and just shift and change. And for people that don't understand it, it's, I think that the individuation and destroying the fed, shared fantasy and healing from narcissistic abuse is the hardest type of abuse that we have to heal from. It's the hardest. It's so complex and so hard to describe and the subtleties in it are so damaging, yet when you repeat them as a storyline, people, you know, I, I feel like sometimes people say to me, oh, that's not so bad or that doesn't sound so bad or that in itself, but it's not. It's the, you know, it's it's just kind of a thread of lots of that everywhere and on a continual basis, um, not to mention just some outwardly cruel things that go on too. Where do you think this starts for narcissism? Do you think that it's, it's learned behavior? Yeah, I think it's an adaptation to a seriously traumatic event. I think complex PTSD underlies it. Um, that would be the emotional, psychological. Like my father was severely sexually abused as a child by Christian brothers in a, in a school. My mother had, um, had a head injury where her hair got caught in the wheel of a train and she was almost beheaded. And so she had an injury to her frontal lobe, which she can't have the ability to have we. It's just me, 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 me. So I don't know what she was like. I know someone Mm. that grew up with her and she said after that accident, she was never the same. And so Mm. these are two serious injuries that they both faced. But on the other side of it, it's, you know, when you look at going back to those environments, if you know what's happening and you know it's abusive and you go back, you're abusing yourself. So mm. it's, you have to make a choice. And where I got to was it's either my psychological, emotional, financial, physical and mental well-being or theirs. And I chose mm. one and that was it. And when did you recognize that um, within your family that that was going on for, with both your parents? How long ago? I realized intellectually a number of years ago and then I cut them off five years ago for three and a half years. And then I went back because I'd done a ton of work um, in that time. And I didn't want to, you know, leave my, I thought my father was going to die. My mum weaponized that against us for my whole life. And so my brother had a dream that he was reading my father's eulogy and thought he was about to die. And I was like, 
okay, I better go back. You know, I want to make sure it's at least buried while, you know, before he's buried, so to speak. And then it was a pretty good, you know, we were fine for 18 months. And then Christmas Day showed me what was really going on. I confronted them that the behavior wasn't okay. The typical narcissistic defensiveness happened. And I was like, cool, I'm done. That was, that was me walking away. So understanding that they were narcissists was a long time ago. But seeing the nature of it, because when I went back on Christmas Day, I looked at it through the eyes of a husband, father, and a therapist, which I hadn't been able to do in the abuse. And I looked at it and I was like, wow, this is atrocious. So what I'd normalized and tolerated, and so I always say don't tolerate tolerance, but my tolerance for abuse had become so high that because I had done a lot of work and healed a lot, I went back and went, this abuse is unacceptable. I will never accept this again in my life. Whereas five, six years ago, I probably would have been like, oh, it's just family, whatever, doesn't matter. So it was a real gift in that way that it gave me, I saw it through new eyes and I realized that this is absolutely atrocious and I'll never expose my partner, my kids or my own child to that ever, ever, ever again in this lifetime. There's no way. So the real realization really only came about seven weeks ago where it was in my bones where I was like, wow, I can see this for what it is firsthand. Mm. And once you see, you can't unsee, right? And then it's just the start of a new life, really. As a result of growing up in that environment, did you then um, ever find yourself in a narcissistic relationship? All of them. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> All of them and some yeah. recent one. All and I laugh. I, I do try to find the lightness amongst, yes, amongst this like, sometimes because it's like you do have to laugh at some of these aspects. Otherwise, you know, you'd just be in a ball on the floor at, yeah. <laughs> at your life's choices. Yeah. Um, I look at it as fat now because it's like I go, well, all of them were extremely intense, very chaotic. You know, it was mm-hmm. just like titration where two chemicals interact and it's like, bam, it's explosive. And I just mistook that for safety and love. And it wasn't. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. And for me and my story, I, um, I think that I went into, and, and you talk a little bit about this on your website, uh, your personal story you, uh, as a result of family, but you kind of took on a role as being a, a caretaker. And I certainly became a mega people pleaser, like still unlearning that. And, um, and, uh, and as a result, I would tolerate relationships and absolute, you know, dysfunction. Although, you know, certainly with narcissists, it creeps in. They don't always show up, um, <laughs> you know, with well, – they, they say there's a mask, right, with narcissism. It's interesting. That's, that's something to discuss too. But, you know, they present in a certain way. And I certainly mistook control for care in some of my relationships. And then over time I realized, oh, it's so subtle. There's a very fine line there. But I ended up in very in one relationship in particular, extreme control and always thought it was just care. Um, and then I think what I often say even and share with my children now in, in appropriate context is you can tell a lot about someone when they don't get what they want. And that's certainly something that you can see um, when dealing with a very controlling manipulative or potential narcissist that they will get very inflamed if you challenge them or leave them or cause them any narcissistic injury um and then and then of course there's post-separation abuse which is an interesting one that um 
that I've also had to deal with, which I never, ever saw coming. Um, I didn't even know it existed, really. But, yeah, I think as a result, just going back to uh, a people pleaser as a child, it, it certainly led me into, you know, a couple of quite serious and narcissistic relationships, which have been, you know, blessings. I've certainly had to have a big wake-up call off the back of what was going on within me to be putting myself in that situation and, and self-worth issues and etc. cetera, um, all of my own healing journey. But I was curious as to whether or not you'd landed in a relationship like that because it is often the case, right, is that's all we know. That's what we know to be love is is um, meeting the needs of someone else. Yeah, yeah, and that's the – there's fight, flight, freeze, and then there's fawn as well, the fawn response. The fawn response is typically more of like the people pleaser codependent. You know, I had both of those attributes as well. And what we did as more fawn and codependent is like, that's a biological method of survival. It's literally biological. So where we'd have these, these false selves that we'd throw up to the predator. So we'd be the prey and you'd have the predator come in, right? The predator was my mother. So it was like explosive all the time. So it was my father. But we just try to be on our best behavior in order to keep them at bay, to keep them away from us. So we develop an idea of who we are and then we throw that effigy out to the predator and then they'd eat up the, the effigy and then they're still there. And then you move backwards into the cave, so to speak, for protection. And then you throw the next effigy up and then you're going back and back until you're in this crack in the cave and there's only like you know this much of you still shining the light and then that's part that's the full that's the real self that needs to come back out and as we start to come out we move out of the cave we stop throwing up the effigies and we start seeing the predator for who it is and this is an emotional and psychological predation which for me is the same as as incest by a parent it's no different to sexual abuse it's just emotional and psychological. Both of them form incest because they violate the child's boundaries in order to gain, to satisfy the will of the predator. And so as you start to stand up to the predator more and more and you allow, allow the light of the true self to come forward, that predator turns into prey because it's all a mask. It's like they're cowards at, underneath it all. They're sniveling little cowards that are quite dark. And I experienced this um, in my current relationship where her ex-husband was like that. And he went through that post-separation abuse, the narcissistic injury activated. He, you know, tried to, you know, turn his kids against me, saying I was a bad man, telling people I was a drug dealer, yep. you know, like yep. tear my yep. partner down, then hug her and go, come here, let me save you like that. Like real insidious, unhealthy attributes around it. So it's really important to see all of this like isolation and coercive control is a big one as well um through little remarks to try to break someone down and as you might know but for the listeners there's the idealized devalue discard and hoover cycle which isn't just a narcissist that's to very toxic people as well which is build someone up break them down get rid of them bring them back yeah and each time that you go through the cycle you've broken down that little bit more and so then what that's what makes it so hard to break free is your self-worth and sense of self is diminished and and you you've, you don't have the strength and then there's cognitive dissonance and everything else stress overwhelm and you can't see the forest through the trees and you don't know up from down and how to how the hell to get out and then then try and find someone that understands what you're going through <laughs> you don't even know what to work it out. Or a tree is by the time you're in that space agreed so. agreed it's um yeah there's so much work to be done what what work do you suggest for people that are starting to recognize and and perhaps listening that 
that's potentially what they're going through. Where where to begin with what kind of help? The first thing and is support. to, if it's parents or a partner, usually if you've got a partner that's a narcissist, it's because your parents have been narcissistic on some level. One, both, doesn't, or a grandfather. There'll be an influence there. Yeah. It's very yeah. rare that someone's come out of a loving, beautiful environment will bring a narcissist in. They just won't find it fun. They won't find it attractive. So the first thing is, is to absolutely burn down the shared fantasy that these people will never, ever be the person that you want them to be ever never it's never going to happen you're not going to change them you're not going to do anything to be able to fix them kill that off right that's the first thing mm. then you have to look at you have to really get really like attentive to your thoughts so this the, the, the bridge in between that is to validate yourself for the psychological and emotional abuse that you've suffered and say yes it was real it's not my fault and it was fucking appalling sorry for swearing but it was absolutely appalling and that's part of the letting that part of you be seen that it was real, right? You've been completely abused. You were a victim. You didn't choose that. It's not your fault. And that's where we allow that part of ourselves to be seen. Then we start to listen to the thoughts of what our parents, mother or father or partner wants from us that we sublimate, subjugate, subject ourselves to, which is the voice of the narcissistic parent. And we say no to that voice. Right, we go, no, I don't need you anymore. That's mortification of mortification. So it's killing the voice that tried to kill you. Then we set boundaries. Now boundaries are an interesting one because it's not just about finding non-negotiable of if someone cheats on me, I'll leave them and then they cheat on you and you don't leave them, right? So it's like boundaries are the barrier that must have consequences that must be followed through. But boundaries have to be developed on values which are developed on morals. Morals are socially constructed ethics. Values are independently structured based on morals and social ethics. And then our boundaries are built out of our values. So this is really important to structure it this way. Now, our society at the moment is fairly fucking degenerate. So I don't use the attributes of our current society to build morals. I look back to when Marcus Aurelius was the Roman emperor and look at stoicism as a way to build masculine morals, which feed my values, which then enforce my boundaries, which determine consequences. So this is really important. And just realize that there's a, you know the saying, blood is thicker than water? That the real, actually, the real meaning of that is not that your family blood is thicker than the substance of water. What it is, it's the blood of the cup of Christ. So the people that I choose to congregate with and share the same beliefs, morals, and values with me, that substance is thicker than the water of the womb of the people that I was born with. So always choose the people that have shared values with you over the water of the womb of the people that you were born with. That will always... Um, that... That's amazing and that's an incredible insight and it actually makes me think about when I realised what was going on um, only about four years ago, to be honest, when I had a, a full eye-opening time to fucking shake up my life and change everything around me was that my boundaries, I was allowing my boundaries to be violated everywhere. So it wasn't actually just family and relationship. It was everywhere. And I think that is what's so frightening when you get to this level of realization is that there's potentially your entire support network is taking advantage of you in some way. Um, and there'll be very few people around you that genuinely there for you. Like so many people take advantage of others' vulnerability to serve them and their needs. 
and that's frightening. It's frightening to realize and a really lonely journey when you need to start saying no to people. Um, but again, it's interesting when you do start saying no to people and saying, here's a boundary, I don't actually like it when you speak to me this way, their response. Do they respect it or do they not? It can be that simple to determine who's good for you and who's truly supporting you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's a good point because if it's the parent that has done it, they engage in boundary, not breaking, but dissolution. They want no boundary between you and them. Once they do that, because the child doesn't have the cognitive, intellectual, physical awareness to know what's going on, so the parent breaks the child's heart, robs the innocence, and then creates a line that they, the, the line that was there, the boundary, goes away. So they don't even know what a boundary is. It's complete boundary dissolution. And to reinforce that over time, the gift of that is, is once you do it, you become so fucking powerful. So they actually rob your power. And when you reclaim it, it's just like this this animal comes out and it's like and not in an aggressive way it's just like no thank you by by teaching you yeah this strength that comes through this resolve that normal people you know might not have and to go back to my dad sending me the message he gave me that gift of setting that boundary that i was like even on your deathbed i won't fucking accept that and so it's the ultimate one it was the ultimate gift that he gave me to step into a man and say, I said I wasn't going back and I'm not doing that. And that's okay, I accept the consequences of that because boundaries have consequences because my boundaries are I won't be disrespected by anyone. And that was it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it takes great strength, great courage, and it can be lonely. But I think that's when you come back to making sure that the people around you, the blood is thick and supportive and true and honest and real you know that 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 your new support network your new and I I have very little family if any to be honest and and um and that's what I've had to create is community through people that truly truly love and support me and my growth because also people don't like when people grow because it's a new set of potential boundaries or you know there's a new flavor to the way that I operate or you know or I'm just pushing myself outside my comfort zone even doing this podcast with you completely pushing myself outside my comfort zone and some people don't even like people doing that and it has nothing to do with them because it it's holding up a mirror to I'm not doing that you know so it's interesting and their own failures and their own inadequacy like especially in Australia it's all poppy syndrome people want you to do better just not better than them so before we wrap up, actually, just one thing I wanted to cover about um, this, this Jekyll and Hyde mask that people talk about with narcissism. Do you think that there is a mask? Do you think that there's, there's two people or is there, I mean, how do, I, how do we talk to that? Any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I wish it was that simple. I don't think it's that simple. I think it's so complex that it's this very layered, very nuanced aspect where even it's like a whole, I call it the hall of mirrors, right? And they're all these different faces that they've got on. You know, it's not so, if it was so binary, Jekyll and Hyde, we could say that about everyone, really. I'm not going to say everyone's artist, whatever. If I get sad, I get angry, I'm compassionate, I can be lack I can lack empathy sometimes too, you know. So what these people develop is this ultimate false self as an adaptation to the true self and they don't even know the true self is there. They don't know. Do you think they're completely unaware? When they're full-blown MPD disorder, yeah. yeah. One psychologist once said to me that um, 
imagine that their mind is essentially the hardware of a computer and they're missing the chip that gives them the insight to understand that this is actually them and their behavior that's causing the chaos and the breakdown of relationship and blah, blah, blah. They're just missing the chip. And the simplicity of that just kind of helped me understand, even have a level of compassion for, they just do not know what is going on here. And it's very, very hard to, to work with them. Do you think that, that you can heal it? Do you think that there's anyone with MPD that you've worked with that you've ever seen progress? Well, how can you, I always say, how can you heal something if you think there's nothing wrong with you? You know, so they don't know that there's anything wrong, so they can't go to that place to actually go, oh, yeah, cool. They'll, they might go to therapy and then they'll either charm the yeah. therapist or they won't laugh. They'll do two sessions and go, ah, oh, I'm out. That's it. So they don't have that ability to stay long-term in therapy. I've been to a session like that. And actually what I sort of felt went on was that, in fact, I copped an absolute wrath by the time we got home. And of course, because I cried and because I was frustrated in the session and everything else, um, I got into trouble and it was, you know, anger and rage and what have you on the back end. But um, sometimes I think truly to... because of the degree of damage that they've caused, how could you even face that? Like it's hard enough when you're not a narcissist to face your shit and your damage and your, how you've hurt people in, on your journey. Like we've all done something consciously or unconsciously to hurt people and it's really, really painful to be honest and look at. And, and with narcissists, I mean, they're often, if they're the real deal, they're con men, they're sexually abusive, they're everything abusive. It's the real deal they're they're frauds in every possible way I who would want to look at that (laughs) like it would be it would be the darkest scariest most painful work and I can imagine why they want to stay stuck in their story of not me if that's if they even have that insight to be able to do that I don't know but which yeah I don't think they do I think it's like it's so well manufactured that they cannot go to the place to face the shame and if they do, I mean, it's hard enough. I've done things to hurt people. I've been an asshole before. I've told people off. I've been cruel. I've been kind. I've been it all, you know. That's part of it. The difference is I just own it and go, yeah, I fucked up. That was really bad. And then I have to carry the pain of that, you know, of going, right, I'll repent for that. I'll own it. But, you know, it can get difficult, you know. It can get really difficult doing that. It takes a lot of work. It's not going to happen in one day, you know. But if you're doing the work and confronting that and staying in therapy or whatever you're doing, you know, that can be a very powerful tool to go, well, I'm the source of my problems because I'm the common theme in my life. So we take responsibility even when we don't want to. And I still don't get it right all the time. I don't, you know. I don't claim to. Yeah, no one does. No. Who does? That's a part of the human experience. But like you've said and, and a lot of people talk about, it's just, just simply owning it and talking to it and just kind of freeing yourself of it can dissolve some of that pain that comes with it because we've all got to face that aspect of ourselves that we've all got light and dark, right? So it's just part of the part of the journey. Um, so just one, one last thing before we wrap, we wrap up. You talk about your love of the Michelangelo quote and... Uh, I wonder if you could share it with me. Yeah, so when Michelangelo created the Statue of David, his peers around him said, how did you create such a perfect representation of man? And he said, I didn't create David, he was already in the marble. I just took away everything that wasn't David. 
and that kind of speaks to how I work. And it's like I remove the things that aren't true for people, help them see the things that aren't true, help make the unconscious conscious, and then what's left is the the true self over time, which is this divine being, you know, that we all have underneath it. I don't think anything's wrong with anyone's soul, but that doesn't excuse the human behavior to it as well, but it's up to them to do the work to fix it. Thank you so much, Jag. Really appreciate your time. I really enjoyed this chat. Where can people find you? What are your handles? Yeah, handle on Instagram is Pure Jaguar or my website is jaguarheart, H-E-A-R-T dot co. And honored to be the first man on here. Thank you so much. It means a lot. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jag. Thank you so much for listening to The Shared Road. My intention for this is to become a place of support, community and hope through the shared stories from my brave and open-hearted guests. If you'd like further information regarding personalised support and mentoring to navigate these varied and complex experiences, please go to at meditationbase or meditationbase.com.au. Please share, follow and leave a review so that I can continue to reach as many people in need as possible. Thank you again.